Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to The Hidden Gin, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Hi and welcome to this very special bonus series of The Hidden Gin, The Interviews. In these episodes, you'll hear me talk to people from all walks of life who have had gin experiences, are drawn to the stories of gin, and draw lessons from these stories. You'll hear from artists, scholars, writers, journalists, and gin exorcists. And even from me, as I discuss how and why this series came about in a very personal conversation with my husband. Thanks for listening and enjoy. So this will be the final episode that tracks with the main series. Uh, But I've been holding on to this, um, today's interview for quite a while. I've been really excited about it because our final episode, if you've listened to it yet, it's called Exorcism. And so our guest today is kind of perfect for this subject. And I was actually introduced to her by one of our other guests, one of the other guests I had on earlier, uh, Amna Akhtar, who pointed me towards um, this guest and said, hey, you might want to check her out. And I was fascinated when I did. So I'd like to introduce you to my guest today. Her name is Jehan Mansi. Jehan is a spiritualist and a writer, and she practices something called alchemistic, or maybe that's what she calls it, I'm not sure, but she says her alchemistic style is a blend of comedic alchemy and Islamic esotericism. She writes a couple of columns for an mag- online magazine called Miss Muslim. She's also a TV writer. And, you know, she basically was doing these columns for Miss Muslim, which I read, I just blew through. Um, and then she decided to kind of write about other things and introduced a personal blog called Mystic Musings. Uh, where she shares her sacred knowledge that she's acquired over the years. She's really active on um, Instagram. I've seen her do Instagram live videos on these things. And her website is jmancy.com. It's J-M-A-N-S-Y.com. And basically, she's dedicated her life to metaphysics, self-healing, and alchemizing your soul in order to live your truth in alignment with your highest good. Jahan is based in California, and um, she spends her life helping people who come to her out of great desperate spiritual need. People who oftentimes believe that they have some kind of a jinn possession or attack on them. Before doing this work, she was uh, an academic publishing and that was her field, but now she's dedicated her life uh, to helping people who really have nowhere else to turn. So check out my interview with Jahan because believe me, you never heard a story like this. So I first want to say that... um, I don't even know where to start with you. I'll be honest because I just learned of your work not too long ago. Now the, your this episode is going to run kind of as our season finale in a way because it's like to me you are bringing 
so much together that we're going to have covered over the season and your own personal experiences too. Uh, but I hadn't heard of your work until very recently. And then it was like this rabbit hole. I've read like, I couldn't stop reading your blogs. <laughs> I couldn't stop reading your columns. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. But here's, a, here's what I want to do. Um, I've already introduced you and I, the listeners, you know, have a little bit of uh, information about what you do, but I want to start off by, can you tell us a little bit of actually about your personal background, if you don't mind, kind of like, you know, ethnically where you're from, um, where are you from the United States, a little just about your personal story. Yeah. So I'm very proud that I'm from Ohio. <laughs> nice. Um, I live in uh, California with my husband, and my family, and my parents are from Egypt. So I was raised in a very progressive Islamic household. And okay. I stress that because my parents always allowed us to be very open with our questions and discussions. So nothing was like off the table. So I really credit them for my spiritual growth. They're not happy with what I do, but <laughs> they're not, they're not happy they with are, what you do. Are they scared of what you do? Is that it? I think because in Egypt, the people who, um, claim to be healers or seers, typically they're cons and they just mm -hmm. end up taking your money. There's like a bad reputation, but you know, my parents need to understand we're in America and now things are different. <laughs> so you will be shocked. You'll be, sh you'll be shocked to learn that your parents and my parents feel very similarly. Cause when I told them I'm going to law school, they're like, listen, back home, all the lawyers are crooks. And, uh, <laughs> Don't go into law. And I was like, we're in America. It's a different situation here. But uh, my family's from Pakistan. So uh, I understand that whole thing. But um, so you grew up in Ohio, but uh, professionally, I'm like, this is not something you've always done. Like spiritual healing was not always your profession. I, my career before this, I was in academic publishing and I was really burned out with corporate world. So I left um, a few years ago to try to pursue writing full time. I have, I worked on a manuscript. I wanted to be an author and be the Muslim version of Nora Roberts. And I came across Miss Muslim. Um, I decided to write for them. So I wrote two columns. And my good friend, Janan, who is the founder of Miss Muslim, kept urging me to be more open about my spirituality. And she yeah. was like, you're holding back a lot. And I can tell, why don't you just come out and talk more about the depth of your spiritual thoughts? And I was like, I don't know, people are going to say I'm a witch. And I was, I used to be really afraid of that label. So I kind of just threw myself into it. I became a little bit more public with what I do. Yeah. I met my husband at the time as just a friend, but our friendship grew because of our spirituality, a spiritual mm -hmm. connection. And he was the one who encouraged me actually to do the spiritual work as a business. And mm -hmm. I was really hesitant. And then I was making a lot of difference within the community, not just the Islamic community and the Egyptian community, but the non-Muslims who I was working with. So I kind of went with it. And then now I have a full-fledged business. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. But let me, so let me, I, I want to know kind of like how this all began. I mean, one thing I've heard about when it, when it comes to people, and I feel like somebody has cemented over my third eye or something. I feel like one of those people for whom the veil is very thick, you know, even though I'm like, I feel like I'm open to it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd be interested in like perceiving things. It just doesn't happen for me. Uh, but I've heard that it actually, for people who have that ability, uh, it's almost like in the family often, you know, a lot of times in the matriarchal line, when did it become apparent to you that you could sense things that other people could not? So first I do want to quickly say we all have the capability to open up our gifts and especially mm -hmm. as Muslims, the biggest benefit we have is the 99 names. Mm -hmm. So there are specific names of God you can chant to give your third eye LASIK surgery and to <laughs> allow yourself to channel um, and to open up those type of senses. 
But when I was eight years old, I had my first encounter with the spirit and I thought everybody could see. It was my aunt who had passed that summer and I woke up middle of the night and I was having a full-fledged conversation with her and I told my mom about it and my mom was like, she freaked out because she thought I was traumatized from the death of my aunt. And when I was repeating things back to my mom about what my aunt said, my mom froze and she then knew, okay, there's something really going spiritual going on. And my mom believes in this. So from her reaction, I kind of shut down a little bit and I, it wasn't discussed. Um, in my high school years, when I started becoming more involved with the mosque and praying more and just kind of allowing myself to be more immersed in the Islamic culture, prayer opens us up as well. So I started having dreams where they were coming true. And I didn't understand that either. And I would talk to my parents about it. And they could give me great stories about Prophet Yusuf, but they couldn't really give me the answers of what was going on. And then all throughout my 20s, um, I was sensing things and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then about age 25, 26, um, in the medical world, I coded. So I lost a heartbeat for about a minute. So I transitioned to the next realm and you see the whole white light, all of that's true. But the first energy I connected with was Prophet Jesus. And I wasn't expecting that, right? I'm expecting to connect with Prophet Muhammad because I'm Muslim. And I saw myself on the operating table. I saw everything that happened. This was during a a surgery? Or if you don't mind me. So I was getting ready to move to California. I was packing. It was my first move out of my home. I think I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear over that. Mm -hmm. And... I just, the weight of stress, I, I collapsed. I just dropped and I, but my friend rushed me to the hospital and it took a while for them to resuscitate me. Well, it was technically, I was out for about a minute, a minute and a half. Um, that minute and a half though, felt like a lifetime to me because I saw myself on the operating table, came back to life. I told the doctor what happened and he was like, a lot of people had these experiences. He, um, encouraged I read a book. <laughs> I think it was called The Proof of Heaven. And I was expecting him to say I had a psychotic break because right. in your mid to late 20s, people have like psychosis breaks. So I thought I had something. Um, about two weeks later, I moved to California and it was like, I couldn't stop seeing spirits. So, you know, we share this world with the unseen but it was unreal. It was like I would be walking down the street and I would be bombarded with spirits. And I knew they were spirits because they didn't look like actual humans, but I felt like I had lost my mind. I was convinced I had a psychotic break. So okay, I, John, I got to stop you because I have so many questions already that have like, they're, they're backing up. So let <laughs> me, before I forget, first, I need to know more about what happened to you in that minute and a half. And you, you say you saw Jesus. Now, just for people who are not Muslim and listen to this podcast, um, Jahan also mentioned uh, Prophet Yusuf. That's Joseph. And so, you know, Muslims believe in all the biblical prophets. And Joseph, we know there's stories around him and his ability to have these dreams in which he had incredible premonitions and powers through the dreams. Um, but Jesus is also considered a prophet. I mean, we don't worship Jesus the way Christians do, but we believe he's like one of the most powerful prophets. And so that's why um, Jahan, you know, referred to Jesus as prophet Jesus. So, did you, did you talk to him? Like, what happened? <laughs> I need to know. So he introduced himself as Jesus. Because also the image of Jesus in my mind is what we've seen. Like, yeah. you know, light brown hair, color, white colored skin, yeah. 
So he introduced himself as Jesus. He said, I'm, I'm Jesus. And what did he look like? Was it not, was it not what you had seen? Like, were you, what we see in our Western kind of, uh, iconography? I saw him more of like a shadowy figure. So I could tell the profile of his face, but I couldn't really make out all of his features. And I don't know if this is something that prophets are usually masked. Like with (laughs) angels, I don't see the features of angels. They come as lights, but his voice was really, it was deep, but also in a way light. That makes sense. Mm, Uh, Warm. Really at peace. Like Mm. I felt like I wasn't crazy. (laughs) I felt like this was all happening in a divine manner. Um, The type of brightness, like the bright light you see, it it feels like you're catapulted through a tunnel of white light. Wow. So I also thought that was it. I'm dead. Like I'm not coming back to life, but he told me you're going to be okay, but you're meant to be a healer. You're meant to heal. And again, I'm thinking, I mean, I'm about to move to LA. I'm like <laughs> starting a new life, right? I'm going to go sell textbooks. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I didn't understand any of the messages, but he did tell me he was going to heal through my hands. Well, wow. again, prior to this, I had no experience in the healing ward. I thought all this stuff was haram or unlawful is what we say. I thought all this was like devil work. So coming back from that, it, I questioned a lot about faith. Yeah. Okay. So when you say that opened up kind of like a portal, like, like it's almost like uh, you had glimpses before that, but this kind of like just blew the dam wide open. Yeah. Um, it kind of pulled me into a different realm. I was, just, that ter- was that a terrifying experience for you to suddenly be like, yeah, well, I was really convinced that I had like maybe schizophrenia, even though I couldn't hear spirits. I thought I was having hallucinations. So I saw three different um, psychiatrists in LA and I was like, you have to test me. I think I had this psychotic break and everything came back normal. And I was like, you're missing something. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went to a time living in LA, I went to a, a called the psychic guy bookshop and I walked in and went straight to the books bookshelf. And I was just trying to find something. And the lady had walked up to me and she was like, Oh, you should look at this book. And it was something about mediumship. And I was like, I don't do this. I'm Muslim. (laughs) She was like, okay, you have a lot to learn. And she's like, why don't you take my class? Um, It's like, it was like Wiccan 101. And I was like, I'm Muslim. I don't believe in this. I can't do the witch stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I went and it really opened up my eyes to energy work. So I started Mm -hmm. learning about energy. Then I jumped from that to working or studying with different, um, schools of thought in the occult. Mm. So the occult can also include obviously magic. And I kept thinking there has to be a huge realm to this with Islam. So yeah. I grew up reading Imam al-Ghazali, um, Ibn Arabi. I'm like, let me revisit that. And let me see if I can find the Islamic version of this. Yeah. All while I'm working like, you know, 40, 50 hours a week <laughs> in my career. <laughs> then I started meditating and I learned how to meditate through a Buddhist temple. And I came across a sheikh in about two or three years from that whole thing. So I'm taking years of just learning about the occult in general and different forms of the occult. Then I found a really great sheikh. The sheikh I worked with more just one-on-one, and he really helped me kind of circle this all back to mm-hmm. source. And he taught me about Islamic meditation. He taught me that Islam has their own chakra system mm-hmm. and the work with the names of Allah. So Everything just kind of started. I mean, this was years worth of studying. Wow. So 
then I decided, oh, maybe I should start helping people on the side, like for fun, let me practice. <laughs> so I started helping friends and word was getting out. And then after a few years, I think at that point, five years later was when my now husband was encouraging me to. So can I ask you, throughout these years of study, as you were trying to figure out like what was happening and how to understand it in your own kind of context, and really, yeah. I mean, I'm one of those people, I'm an observant Muslim. Um, I just think it's one source and it's just kind of branched out into different ways of understanding like the same things. Um, you're still seeing spirits. And let me ask you one thing. You say, you're saying spirits, you're not saying jinn. Are they different things? I have gotten this question and I don't know the answer. So jinn does mean spirit. There's okay. different forms of jinn. There's good jinn, there's bad jinn. Jinn right. can convert um, to any religion. Mm-hmm. And I use the all-encompassing term of spirit because jinn still shocks people. So right. I just feel like spirit just has an easier... So when you're saying you saw spirits, you're not saying you saw, like, let's say, lingering dead people. You saw, like, you were saying jinn. No, I can see both. So the first apartment I had moved into in L.A. after this whole event of dying and coming back to life, um, I woke up in the middle of the night with the spirit in my face she was missing eyes and a mouth. And oh my I God. learned later when the spirit is missing features, it's um, a spirit who's suffering or a spirit of the dark. So that sleep paralysis that you get, that, that means a spirit is trying to either enter your body, take your soul or mess with you spiritually. And then the sleep paralysis happens usually in a specific time frame in the middle of the night. So the sleep paralysis, you know, happened. I, I, was frozen and the spirit is in front of me inches away from my face. And I just kept reciting um, the Shahada, the testimony of faith and I the Corsi. And then eventually the spirit left. Mm. It was three in the morning. It, she came back to visit me again at three thirty-three the next day. And she told me, I need your help. I'm stuck. So I went back to um, that psychic guy bookshop. I told the lady what happened She's like, oh, no big deal. You just need an exorcism on the apartment. <laughs> it's oh. like, a what? She came to my house. Turns out this girl was like, wrong place, wrong time. She had been murdered in my apartment. Landlord didn't tell me. Wow. And her family had no idea what happened. And she needed to be crossed over. Wow. So all this happened, I'm thinking, oh my God, I moved to like the land of like satanic work. Like I had no idea what any of this yeah. meant. Yeah. So- I didn't see her as her full self. I saw her as a suffering spirit. And then when she transitioned in that process of me watching the lady do the exorcism, she was elevated into pure white light. Then I was able to see her as her human self. She thanked us and then she ended up transitioning. Okay. So let me ask you this. Um, Over the years, other than this one spirit like have you had contact is this like something that's happened more than once where you had the spirits of people who passed and come to you or jinn contact you or come in some kind of encounter with you personally one-on-one instead of you just seeing them but actually engage you for some reason just walking outside my house if i'm walking down the street i can see if a spirit wants to come and get a message out to somebody but i don't go around offering you know, unsolicited advice, like a lot of these shows, you see people um, right. in the camera spot medium. So I don't do that, but I do get a lot of dreams from spirits as well. Mm. And I, 
I've noticed when I wear a hat, because my, our crown chakra sits on the top of our head, that's the way mediums communicate is through the crown chakra. So if I wear a hat or cover my hair of some sort, I'm not as open. Mm. Or if I wear um, certain color clothing, or like I keep bracelets on my left side, and that also tends to keep me more grounded. I don't know why, but that works for me. Mm. But I'm constantly on, if that makes sense. No, I can, I can understand that. I mean, because you're perceiving things nobody else is perceiving, but I'm just wondering, like, how does that, how, how does that affect your own mental health? I mean, so I think it takes an enormous amount of, um, patience and being grounded. So I have moments where like, I, I just can't really socialize a lot because people's energies can drain me. Really? I, a lot of time to be with myself or to just be at home. Um, meditating a lot keeps me grounded. I chant so many times throughout the day, mm-hmm. uh, not just protection phrases like the Shahada or anything of Ayatul Korsi, but just the names of God. And that safeguards me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get overwhelming unless I'm working with the client who has a lot of darkness. Yeah. And the jinn are, of course, they don't want to leave most of the time. So when there's things like backlash and I'm kind of at like spiritual war on behalf of the client, that's when it can get um, troubling. It can conflict where it affects my daily life or it can interfere between my husband and I, like maybe we'll get an argument, for example, but there are things that usually pass fairly quickly. There's some disharmony, but it'll balance back out. So speaking of your clients, um, so how, how long, first of all, have you been actually taking clients? Eight years. Oh, eight years. Okay. Are they mostly in California or like, is it across no, the country? All over the world. So okay. as a COVID, I'm now primarily distance based. I can do healing work from a distance, but clients fly me out um, all over the world to heal them. I want to talk to you about a couple of stories that I read on your blog. Uh, the first story is, uh, it was, it, it kind of shocked me for a second. Um, because I don't know if you know too much about my my work and and kind of like what I primarily do, but it was a story about um, a young man I think who had been murdered and his family was in a lot of distress and you helped identify the suspect in the case. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that case first and ha- what happened there? Um, I can't get to go too specific because right. of confidentiality, but they the son was involved with, um, he was a, I think a drug dealer, but very casually, like it wasn't his main thing. He just dabbled in it from now and then. So his family didn't know. So on the evening that he ended up being murdered, it was because it was like a drug deal gone bad Mm -hmm. and it happened at a convenience store. And there were, I think three people involved, um, and of course they all left. So then nobody took accountability and then the police didn't do a very good job because this was a Muslim family in a small town where these type of cases weren't really taken seriously. So there's a lot of racial tension. And the family had an idea of who the, who the perpetrators were because of um, the friend, friend circle or the friend right. group, but it just wanted more confirmation. Um, so they asked me to read on it. They gave me the, the names who they thought And because I can read energy, I was able to identify who had the sketchy energy, like who had the guilt and the remorse around their energy. 
Hmm. And from there, I was able to go into like a deep meditative state to really connect with that person's soul. And they revealed, so that person's, their spirits revealed to me specific information about the murder, like how the person was shot, which I had no idea, or where the lacerations were, or where he even ended up putting the the gun. Man, I've got chills right now. Honestly, I have chills right now. So FYI, chills mean that it's confirmation that what I'm saying is true. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever you get chills, that's your spirit confirming what you're hearing is truthful. So like, when you, so then what did you do with this information? You went back to the family and said this is... family, and they told their mother, who obviously had like, she was devastated from this. From my understanding, I think they were able to reopen the case, and the guy ended up um, admitting to it. Really? he ended up yeah going to jail but he I think the guy needed the way out to finally confess Mm. he needed somebody to come to him yeah so the the reason I was kind of shocked when I read this is because um you know as an attorney I don't know if you know anything about the Adnan Sayed case have you heard of it at all yeah so I know him very 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 distantly from like his family from Isna Years and years ago. You actually know Adnan's family from years ago? I mean, very, very, like, casually. That's that's crazy. So, you know, when he was 17, he was arrested for a murder. I have been working uh, since 1999 to help exonerate Adnan. We've done a lot. We've done podcasts and books, an HBO series last year, um, and we are still fighting to exonerate him. And uh, we've had two... There's been two times during the course of these 20 years that different people have come to us or somebody who is working with Adnan's team to say, listen, I've had like this kind of experience that I can't explain, but kind of a psychic. They weren't even psychics, but they were like, we just saw something that we believe is like information connected to this case. And honestly, when I read that in your blog, I thought, I mean... I would love it if you spent some time thinking about this because what I really believe with Adnan's case is that there's, there, there are ways you can exonerate people through the court system, uh, not exonerate, but you can actually get their release, for example, because of technicalities, because they didn't get a fair trial. But an actual exoneration means you find the person who killed the victim. That's a real exoneration, right? So if Adnan was released um, because he got a plea deal or, or for any other reason, the victim, Heyman Lee, in this case, would really still not have justice because the person who murdered her, uh, we are certain, is still out there. And uh, I have a suspicion of who I believe it is, but it could be a number of people, obviously. So right. I don't I don't know if this is... I'm just throwing this out there. If you would be interested in looking at this, I would be so thrilled if you did. Yeah. Because Definitely talk about it. Yeah. So have you done other work with... Uh, like in the criminal realm at all, or was that like the only time that Not you that magnitude, but I have helped other people with identifying missing children, for example, oh, really, people, for example, mm-hmm. um, I haven't promoted myself like that. Mm-hmm. So those cases are very rare. Cause I, and I barely can promote what I do online. I'm more just referral based for, I'm right. <laughs> right. I'm sure you are still quite busy though with the referrals. Um, but so the other question I wanted to ask you was uh, about the other story I wanted to talk about. I thought this was really fascinating as well, was a story where you contacted this, this person, I guess he was a lawyer or somebody just out of the blue, you knew him casually and said you had a dream 
that somebody had come to you with a warning for him, somebody <laughs> named somebody named Maher. And, uh, and, and when I'm reading it now, I knew who Dr. Maher Hathut was and, uh, you know, God rest his soul, bless his soul, an incredible pillar of the community and just an incredible human being, uh, for folks who don't know, he, he just was one of the most tremendous, uh, American Muslims, I think we've had the pleasure of um, having in our community and, and, and his legacy lives on. So when he died a few years ago, it was a big loss to community. But in this dream, he visited you and you didn't even know who it was. No, I had no idea. So actually that story is about my husband. I oh. changed all the people. My, okay. husband's also, uh, my husband's a criminal defense attorney. So okay. I do also help him with his things, but you know, he doesn't have fun murder cases. Oh, anyway. <laughs> I always encourage him to take one. I'm like, I can help you. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the night I had met my husband and we talked about spirituality and Imam Al-Ghazali and all this stuff, um, a few days later, he, I had the dream with, with Dr. Hoot. I had no idea who he was. Even though I had been in LA for years, I was not connected to the Muslim community. Yeah. And I called my husband and I told him, um, I had this dream. You're going to think I'm crazy but I have to get this message to you because it's very serious. You probably want to sit down. He's like, I can handle it. What's going on? And then when I told him, then he paused. He's like, okay, now I think you're on to something because what you just told me, I had been thinking about. I haven't told anybody. It's been on my mind for days. So this really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And then at the conversation, he's like, well, how do you even not know who he is? He was this great pillar in our community. He was like a father to me. Yeah. And how did you even access this type of information? So were, did you later, were you later shown a picture of uh, Dr. Hathut and were you like, yep, that was him? Afterwards. So the spirits come to me in their younger version of themselves. Oh, okay. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so after that, your husband, your to be, would be husband in the future. By the way, let me ask you this. Have you, do you have like a sense of kind of like what's going to happen in the future? Do you have that kind of ability as well? I can read energy and I can in most cases, if someone asks me, like, when am I going to get married? I can give them a timeline. I don't like to get too specific with that stuff because I feel like I'm dabbling too much in the fortune telling. Yeah. And that's away from just the overall benefit of, of what my clairvoyance can offer people. Right. But there have been times I was able to predict something and it came true, but right. I just don't focus so much on that part of what I can do. Yeah. I have had maybe three or four dreams into my life where I dreamt something very specific and it, and it happened. Um, most of them were when I was younger. And I do think as you get older, you just get the material world just kind of sucks you in and it takes you away from a lot of those abilities. Um, and you don't really spend too much time on them, but I know, I know it happens. I've seen it. I've, I've experienced it myself. Um, I want to ask you this though. I, I read your article about gin possession um, which is which is taking this whole thing to like another level. It's one thing to help heal people. It's another thing to help people get rid of gin, like to be an exorcist, right? To help expel. So can you explain to me, first of all, how you got to like, what kind of training does it take to do that? So I do primarily work under like the guise of our religion. And so if there is some type of spiritual prescription I have to offer somebody is always going to come from our religion. Yeah. However, a lot of the techniques I use, you can label it as coming from a different occult tradition, but it works. But every spiritual issue that's caused by a jinn can be removed 
in a very simple manner. It doesn't require all this production that you see in the movies or that other, um, the phrase gin catchers proclaim. It can get violent. So at times I've been strangled, at times I've been attacked by the client because the gin is working through them. But it's usually such a small part of how the healing happens. So I do the healing through the Dra'at Rokaya, Dra'at Rokaya, and it's a compilation of many verses from the Quran. Just the words of these verses are powerful enough to dispel jinn. Mm. And if the jinn are too overpowering, then you have to use other type of modalities. So, you know, I heal through my hands. So Jesus comes through every healing of mine. I don't have to call on him just as soon as the fatah is being recited. He's coming down and working through my energy points in my hands, my palms. The light that he sends through my hands is powerful enough to dispel negative energy. So if it's evil eye energy, um, that can be removed through the same dot or kaya. The jinn, to be extracted from the person, you just, I mean, it's like kind of engaging in negotiation. So you, I asked them who sent you, for what purpose, if they were sent from a curse, that curse has to be reversed before the jinn leaves. Mm. So the difference between how I work. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask, so the jinn is kind of at the mercy of this curse, like they're bound, like they have, okay, I see. So, and this is different. So the gym possession is the same yet also different from being sent a curse or any type of hex. If the curse and the black magic is not removed, no sheikh or, or imam or anybody's going to be able to get that gin removed unless you break the curse. So the reason why I feel like my work is very effective um, versus other type of like leaders in the community is because they don't actually remove, remove the magic. They just focus on reciting Quran and doing the Zat Arkaya and thinking that they're fine. And if the person didn't get better, it's because the person's not religious enough. And that's not true. So I open up the space. I talk to the jinn. The jinn tells me how he was sent, what was done. They show me how the ritual was done. And either I just have to completely redo it and reverse it or I ask if he wants an offering, for example, mm. because they put buy an offering, then they're going to want an offering back. And it's really simple removal at that point. I mean, that doesn't sound simple. That sounds terrifying, frankly. Um, wow. and, <laughs> but but how, how long are we talking about here? Is this the kind of thing that can be done in hours or days? Or like, what are we? Everyone's different. So I've noticed the people who were um, diagnosed with some type of psychosis, whether it's bipolar, schizophrenia, Majority of the time, it's from a really bad curse. I do believe that psychosis is real, so I don't want to, you know, say that it's made up or just a spiritual disease. But every person who came to me with a mental health issue, I was able to get them completely. I don't know if I'm allowed to say cured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm legally allowed to, but relieved of their symptoms, so they were able to get off their medication and live, you know, a healthy life, all from just a series of healings. So the most serious case I had dealt with was a guy in Scotland. He had 80 gin possessing him since he was about 13. He, I met him at 30 years old. I wasn't expecting to even meet him. I was in London to work with other clients. He came up last minute and I was, the whole thing got done in three days. So the first healing took six hours and that was a very long time. And then normally my healings take about an hour to two hours. 
Then because it was such a last minute client, I didn't have time to see him for the rest of the trip. He flew out to LA two weeks later and in two more days, his whole thing was done. Magic was reversed. He has been living such a great life since he's off his medication. Um, he finished law school. He's got a great career. Like his life. Really what, how does, how does that happen to somebody? In 80 gin, that's like, I mean, that's, is that, it just happened over years. Like one gin attracts another, but it wasn't an entire army sent to attack him. Like, how does that happen? The original curse brought a handful of gin. And because the way the curse made him live his life, he dabbled in alcohol, he dabbled in drugs. And so when you drop your vibration that low and you get into those types of activities, that invites more darkness, that invites more spirits. So people who talk about having a hangover, I've never drank, so I don't know what it feels like. But when people describe having a hangover to me, that means the gins are just passing through them. They're trying to leave their body. So the gins enter you when you're just drinking alcohol and then it takes them time to leave. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they stay depends on your spiritual light, your physical and spiritual body, and if the gin wants to live off of your light. So for him, it got compounded over the years. He had been in and out of mental institutions, um, been on a ton of different type of medication, and the type of medication he was on also dropped his vibration. So when your vibration is lowered, then you're more susceptible to attracting darkness. What? Okay, but okay. So I, I gotta say something about the alcohol thing. I mean, what doesn't the alcohol itself cause like the impairment? And it has to. I mean, as a as a yeah. physical substance, right? Like it's biologically moving through your body. It takes time to wear off. I haven't had alcohol. I haven't gotten drunk before, but I've had Nyquil, <laughs> and I know what if I know what that feels like, and the Nyquil hangover the next day. Um, right. So, I, but but I don't. I've never understood like something like that to be gin. I'm like that's just the alcohol of the Nyquil. So alcohol itself is connected. I mean, the Arabic word for alcohol means spirits. Well, yeah, actually, we say spirits too, interestingly, in English. Yeah, it's interesting. There's gin or spirits attached to every element in this earth and Mm. also every substance. Mm. So, of course, how, you know, you can never be completely immune to this, um, even if you're just going to be in a cave and pray all day. Mm. But prayer does give us the light. So if Mm -hmm. you do get the best, it can, most cases, you can relieve yourself of it by just praying. Or Have you ever... Have you ever encountered a case where you just you, you just couldn't like it was such a strong hold that some gin had on a on a person that there was just no way to give them relief? No, really. Wow, that, well, that's amazing. Cases where it's taken me maybe three months, mm-hmm. and again, I can do these things within a matter of days if the person yeah. me physically. Um, a lot of times, if there is if it takes longer, it's because the person isn't open or willing to do their own spiritual work or their inner work. Mm-hmm. So if they want to kind of be stuck in this narrative that they've been cursed and that's why they can't move forward, it keeps them stuck in a dark vibration. Yeah, without actually doing the work. Well, let me ask you this: you you have you you have clients who are not Muslim, right? Right. So how do you okay? How do those clients do the work if the work is all based? through you, like an, in an Islamic framework. Do, you, do they do that too? Well, I still do the Dr. Kaya, so they'll listen to the Quran playing. Um, I just, I can speak to them in more general terms. And I also can advise them of what to read from scripture if they're uh, Christian or Jewish. And I can also heal them in more of the like spiritual general terms. Like mm, I, I see what you're saying. Have, have you ever witnessed um, 
a Christian or Jewish exorcism or one of a, like a different tradition? No, but I have, well, I've seen exorcisms on other people who weren't Muslim, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen it from the Jewish tradition. So let me ask you this. I know this, um, I know this guy and I actually tell this story in one of the episodes um, without identifying who it is. Uh, he is like an internationally known national security expert. I mean, really, you know, somebody who has a lot of credibility in all kinds of spaces. He testifies at like high level national hearings. And one night out of the blue, he told me that he um, for a long time had a command over an entire group of jinn that were protecting him and that he could command them. And I know there, I know this is a thing that can happen. I've read this over, you know, the histories and stuff, but is that something that you've ever like dabbled in? Like, do you, are you able to do that? Like, or do you want to do that even like to be able to control gin to make things happen? I, mean, I do have a fascination with that because there's a part of me that's controlling. I'm a Capricorn. Um, <laughs> it's an immense skill and dedication. And a lot of these gin require you to fast for like 40 nights or 40 days. But that is just not my realm. Cause I feel like that teeters into a little bit of a gray area mm-hmm. and then that, then you're kind of getting into Islamic magic and and so I haven't dabbled in that. I'll, I'll can I just tell you something? I'm gonna be honest here. There have been times, especially when I working over the 20 years on Adnan's case, where I'm like. I'm so exhausted from like fighting in the courts that I'm like, I need to like summon a gin who's just going to like figure this out for me. Bring me the evidence I need to exonerate this man. Um, but I, I probably don't have the kind of discipline needed for that. There's prayers you can do that are just as effective as working with gin. We'll be right back after this short break. So I want to ask, um, gosh, this is, so do you have, do you have kids by the way? I'm pregnant. But I oh, have, well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I have um, four stepchildren. Okay, 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 Masha. That's great. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, so you said at the top of, of, of our conversation that your parents are not a little bit like not thrilled with this. Your husband's yeah. encouraging. What about the rest of your family and friends? Are people like kind of scared to be too close to you? Because they're like, she can see me, read me, know me way more than I want her to. Yeah. Um, I, so I, my parents, I think, just tell people I married a lawyer lawyer and like that's what I do for a living now um <laughs> got it you no know, my in-laws I mean they know what I do I don't think they ever you know, they've never said anything to me they I don't know how they talk about me to mm-hmm. the family um for about two years ago two three years ago I used to be so petrified of the label being a witch mm-hmm. and it bothered me when I would hear people associate what I do with witchcraft so, well, the blog you wrote, you said that the family you helped uh, identify, you know, the, the murder of their son ended up calling you a witch. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. So about two years ago, I went through a weird um, phase where mm-hmm. a lot of women in the community didn't want anything to do with me because they claimed I was a witch. All of them benefited from my service, by the way. Mm. But that made me realize um I don't need to seek validation for other people. I don't need to prove myself to other people. I don't need their approval. I know what I'm about. I know my worth. Um, you know, God chose me to do this. I'm walking with God. So that kept me from, I mean, getting out of that scenario. Mm. Now I don't care what people call me. They can call me a witch if they want. If they think I have all this power. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that were true, I would have won the lottery years ago. Right. Um, but my parents, I think, my mom, she doesn't like what I do because she's 
petrified it's going to come back on me. So like now mm. that I'm pregnant, she's like, don't do anything. Just mm. get off your, of your husband. Like don't work. <laughs> right. My dad is like, you're, you're educated. Just yeah. go back. To but this is, this is a labor of love. I mean, you're not doing this because you're like, this is how I'm going to make a living. You, you uh, making a living doing this, I think is warranted and it, and it should, I mean, nobody should do this kind of work without, um, you know, being compensated for it. But this is your, this is a calling. I feel like I'm living my purpose. I yeah. really do. I'm still a writer. I still am going to have a book deal one day and I'll be able yeah. to work on that. But I'm launching projects soon. I mean, I have an Ascension deck. Like I have other side projects. I have a little Rokaya box that I put together to help right. people, you know, cleanse. Um, but I really love helping people and I'm really great at what I do. Knock on wood. Yeah. And the like relief that people have mm-hmm. and the joy they have gives me so much joy and fulfillment. Yeah. Well, let me say this. I, you um, are actually a fantastic writer. You really are. And I can't, I mean, you know, uh, blogging, everybody can blog and a lot of people write online, um, but not everybody really has such a great skill. You're actually a very good writer. Can I ask you, I'm curious, this might not be connected at all to the conversation, but what your book is about that you're working on, are you finished? I had, so the manuscript I wrote years ago was about okay. this Muslim fabulous woman <laughs> trying to navigate the dating scene in LA okay. as a woman and as a spiritualist because believe it or not you can't believe how many men would not want to date me when they found out that I wasn't a virgin I didn't drink yeah. of course my amazing husband was the only guy who was previously married before who had no problem <laughs> with my, yeah. my values um and it was it's just kind of like a chiclet and then I ended up since then, I haven't touched it since, but I turned that into the column Glad to Prada. Oh, okay. Okay. I just chopped up the, the chapters into section or installments. Now I'm writing about Islamic esotericism. So hmm. I mentioned a little bit about how each name of God is connected to a planet hmm. and each planet is connected to um, a letter in the Arabic alphabet, which is also connected to an angel and to a jinn. So I'm, I'm delving more into spirituality. The very first, um, well, actually, you know, the second episode in the, the ser- this interview series is with uh, Professor Ali Ulumi. Are you familiar with him? I followed him. On, I started following him on Twitter a few months ago. He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. Yeah. And you should definitely check out that, uh, that interview. It was great talking to him. And I did not, it wasn't until I discovered his threads that I knew, I had never in all these years of growing up Muslim, I'm 46 years old, knew any of this, this esoteric, like this whole world. And I, I want you to explain two things to me. What is exact, what is esoteric, what is, what is being esoteric? What does esoteric mean? And what does occult mean to you? What are the differences between these things? So esotericism is, I, I believe, the light of God and the, the light of the universe, the secrets mm-hmm. of the universe. And I believe you can access that outside of Islam, but Islam specifically, there's so much knowledge about the unseen and about how to elevate and to connect to source and to live such a God conscious life. And we're barely touching the surface of that and how Islam is taught. A cult is more about the unseen world, whether it's about jinn or about um, the intricacies of how magic works. And I don't think magic's a bad thing. So magic can be good and then magic can be bad. But the words we speak are, is a form of magic. So prayer is a form of magic. And I think that's very powerful. Here's what I'm wondering. I'm such a lay person, right? I feel like I'm that, I'm that kind of person where 
if I touch this stuff, it could go terribly wrong. So do you have, should you be somebody who has either like a lot of spiritual discipline, has a lot of like, have, has had years of learning and practice, meditates? Because, you know, there are fools who can take this stuff and I think just really mess up their lives with it. Right. Yeah. So is this really for the lay person or should most of us stay away from this stuff? I don't, for some, I don't fear this stuff. I don't have fear of gin. Humans are more powerful than gin. It's just, mm a lot of us get, get into fear and we feel like if we dabble with it, they're going to take over our lives. I don't believe that. Um, I do. I would love to teach women how to be more spiritual and to do what I do. Cause I think it's very important for women to have these tools. I think everybody should start at the basic, which is meditate and align yourself with God and whatever definition God is for you, align yourself to source and learn how to really, become so rooted within yourself that you're rooted with God so that whatever obstacles come in your life, whether it is coming from magic or, or whatever, you can handle it with grace and with strength. Mm. And that's the essence of, of what I try to help people with. So after the whole production of the exorcisms done, I focus on how do we keep you elevated in God's mm. light so that if this happens again, it's not going to be so catastrophic to your life. Mm. So I encourage everybody whether they're male or female to tap into their spirituality. Cause we are such strong creative beings and we're not accessing like a 10th of our own power. Right. Can I ask power? You don't need to conjure gin. <laughs> you don't need to conjure gin. Uh, I hope I don't have to for this case, at least. Um, let me ask you this. How can you tell when you are contacted by somebody who believes they might be possessed? How can, has there been a time where you've met somebody you said, that's not gin, that's maybe something else. Maybe it's something in your life, depression, it's behavioral. Like how can you differentiate? How can people know what, how to heal themselves or what they really need to heal themselves? So I've noticed this general theme with women who are stuck on a guy they think it's, they broke up because of magic. Mm. Uh, and if I, I mean, I can clearly see when magic is on somebody because I can read their aura and I can see what's going on in the energetic field. And if there's no gin for me to talk to, then I know that they're not possessed. Mm. They're not convinced with it. Like they're really looking for an excuse that tells me they are just stuck in a lot of heartache and yeah. they can't get out of that emotional state to really see what the reality Others who maybe have a lot of obstacles with finding a job, getting a career going, um, a lot of those issues tend to, to statistically be due to magic or some type of evil eye energy. So there's common symptoms. And then there's your common symptoms of gin possession, like unexplainable pain or a medical condition that um, doctors can't figure out or that medicine can't even heal. Then you know, okay, there's got to be a spiritual component to that. Um, if they feel like every opportunity that comes to them doesn't come into fruition, then you can assess, okay, is this because of an evil eye energy or is it because that they were cursed that their roads are closed? So you learn through, if you can't see like how I can see, you can kind of diagnose by the symptoms. Veering off from this question has nothing to do with this question, but I was just, uh, as I've been doing research into the different kinds of gin, I didn't know uh, that there is a gin that apparently is born with you and dies with you and stays with you. Like it's like your gin, like your the Korean or Karina, right? I believe that's your shadow self. What do you believe? That that is your shadow self. Our what does that mean? What does that mean? 
So that's a psychology term, but really our, like our dark side, we're all born with light. We're also born mm. with darkness and that can okay. also fall into a big part of your ego. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, that's interesting. No, that's good to know. So you don't think that's an actual an actual physical gin um, in the way we understand we, we, there are other gin exists. You think that's just like a, a, like a an aspect of our own personalities? We have our own spiritual guides. Mm. So we have our own spiritual counsel and we have a guardian. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily a guardian angel, it's a guardian guide. Yeah. And they can be prophets. They can be other beings from the time of um, Islam. Or they can be from our ancestry. Oh, that's interesting. Can I ask you something? You said you do um, some healing online, and you do. I mean, obviously, in COVID era, you have to do your work online. Most of it, I'm sure. As you're sitting here talking to me, do you get any kind of vibe from me? Any kind of sense from me? Is there a darkness? <laughs> do you want me to be open? And- yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I absolutely do. Uh, what's your full name? Rabia Chaudhary. You do have a dark energy that's attached to the lower back and your lower abdomen. So Mm. if you have pain that you can't seem to get, you know, treated or relief from, um, that dark energy is stagnant emotional energy that you haven't processed fully. You don't have a curse, but you do have somebody is is keeping you kind of like under their thumb. Mm. So they work with the gin to try to suppress you. It's not a curse. I want to stress that. Um, and that is in, involving your, your public persona. So like your ability to maybe have more achievements in your work or in your case or have more positive publicity. So that you can obviously easily break. Um, there is a lot of ancestral, specifically from your mother's lineage, that's makes you feel like you're constantly having to fight, not just in your career. My mind, Jahan, I'm going to have, I'm going to cry. Are you kidding me? Okay, keep going because this is like uh, freaking me out, but keep going. Okay. So that is what we call usually ancestral trauma or. Oh God. I really want to stress that you're not cursed. (laughs) Oh God. Very different conversation. That is probably the most damaging um, energy you're, you're battling. Oh my God. You have to clear, not just on the self, it has to be cleared from the entire maternal lineage. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I just want to respond to what you've said. I am actually crying. Um, This is the second interview I've done today and I cried at the earlier one too. Anyway. um, So for years I had terrible, terrible lower back pain uh, from a very badly inserted epidural. It took years. It actually took after about, maybe 10 years, I got um, hijama done, which is the cupping. Yeah, yeah. And, and that in one session removed it. However, when you talk about my lower abdomen, I had a, a very major lower abdomen surgery earlier this year. And I had the surgery because it was necessary. I had been n- n- unable to have it for years. And I am still after eight months recovering from it. And I still feel pain from it. And there's a lot of emotional baggage from it. Um, so that's shocking. As far as a person hold, trying to hold me under their thumb, like I don't know who that is, but I'll say whatever prayers it is. Um, not even so much that I am craving or seeking any more attention or success or anything. Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm content. Uh, but like I said, I really do want to get a non home. Uh, and also in general, you don't want people to not like you. But the matriarchal thing 
uh, there is a lot of trauma in the women on my mother's side, and it is uh, a, the maybe the greatest source of of stress in my life, um, including an aunt who has mental health issues. Who just last week I spent a lot of time trying to find her housing, and I mean, I it, but oh my goodness, I can't even. I, but you know, when you say you have to cleanse that from the whole line, I don't even know how to start or where to begin on that. And so, <laughs> if you have any suggestions, I'll take them. Well, your abdominal thing is, it would be a really simple fix if you decided to get this done spiritually. Mm. Um, It would be a combination of obviously what I would have to do on my end, but then you would have to tweak your diet just a little bit for a few weeks. The ancestral trauma, ancestral energy. um, Nobody, nobody fights like the women in my mom's family. Nobody. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That usually takes a good, like, 21 to 30 days to really uproot. And it can be um, hard to go through because Mm. it requires uh, hard on you in terms of emotionally, like a lot of episodes might be coming up for you. You might have a lot of dreams that might be difficult or memories Mm. that come up, but um, it's imperative to cleanse it because you don't want your bloodline to continue suffering. I had a very similar thing in my family and it took, I think six months. Wow. I've been, I've been dealing with it for 40 odd years. I feel like I can, I can, if it takes six months, I'm willing to put in the work. So uh, Jihan, you might've made yourself another client. So I'm, I'll be following up with you soon on some of these things. My goodness. Thank you so much. It's been an hour. I honestly could go on and on. I, I just can't even imagine the stories that you hold and, and the work that you do is not just helping people, but it's, it's, you know, even as an attorney, when I was practicing, you carry the burden of your client's pain and difficulty and suffering with you. So the fact that you're able to do that, um, for the sake of helping people, you know, that's amazing. So may, you know, God bless you and you continue in your work. And, uh, when we wrap up, I'm going to tell our listeners where they can find all of your work. And I really hope to see your book get published because I will certainly be uh, one of your first readers, but thank you so much. If you want to get in touch with Jahan and find out all about her and read her writings, I mean, she's a fantastic writer, just check out her website. Again, it's jmancy.com. That's spelled J-M-A-N-S-Y.com. And there you will find links to her various blogs. Also, if you uh, scroll down to the bottom of um, any one of her web pages, you'll see handles for Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can contact her there. You can also book a session with her by clicking on the page titled Rukaya Center. And you can also check out her shop right now. She's selling this beautiful deck of cards called the Ascension Deck that has um, this gorgeous calligraphy and the 99 names of God on them. They're really beautiful. Um, So anyhow, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you follow her on Instagram. She does great videos. um, And uh, reach out to her if you you have questions or anything. And I hope uh, we get to have her back on sometime. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, there are as many people in the world with gin stories as there are gin. So if you have one you'd like to share, make sure to email it to me at thehiddengin at gmail.com. That's thehiddengin, T-H-E-H-I-D-D-E-N-D-J-I-N-N at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, we are not alone. The Hidden Gin is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. The podcast is written and hosted by Rabia Chaudhry and produced by Miranda Hawkins and Trevor Young, with executive producers Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, 
and Matt Frederick. Our theme song was created by Patrick Cortez. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.